So today we're reading 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40. Now there's about three different Bible covers in here. So um, two of them, the ones with like fancy covers, it's on page 1,155. And the one with the simple cover is 814, as far as I know. So. What then shall we say, brothers? Is this the right one? Yeah, good. (laughs) What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Amen. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, uh, we want to thank you that uh, you are a God of good order. And uh, we thank you that uh, in that, uh, that you have uh, worked through your uh, plan of salvation and that you have called us into your kingdom. Uh, We pray, Father God, that we would be men and women who uh, seek in love to serve the needs of others uh, and each other, and that we would do so in a way uh, that uh, is genuinely edifying. And we pray these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in some ways, I find leading a Bible study group to be more challenging than preaching. I mean, preaching's got its own challenges, but at least I only have to be in control of myself. Uh, Whereas in a Bible study group with uh, six or seven people or more, it's a somewhat different dynamic because everyone has got the opportunity to to chip in. Everyone's got the opportunity to lead in prayer Uh, Everyone's got the opportunity to ask questions, everyone's got the opportunity to share and to think uh, what God is saying in his word and the job of the leader is to uh, try to make sure that that uh, discussion flows evenly so that the the quiet person and the um, outgoing person have got the same airtime and the discussion stays on track. Uh, on the Bible, and it's actually helpful for everyone. Now, I sort of uh, exaggerate a little bit, saying that, you know, I find that challenging, 
Um, but, um, and I want to say that our Bible study groups are excellent. If you're not part of a Bible study group, you need to sign up for one. Uh, and uh, they're really good because they are intentionally interactive so that everyone does get the chance to share. Everyone does get the chance to learn from one another, to encourage each other and to pray for one another. So that's Bible study groups. Now imagine a Sunday service functioning like that um, with uh, opportunity uh, for anyone and everyone to um, stand up where you are and to, or to grab hold of a microphone and to share a message that uh, you believe that God has laid on your heart. Uh, there's a time for anyone and everyone to stand up and just lead the congregation in prayer and then imagine that uh, we're also a multicultural congregation with some people who, when they lead others in prayer, they prefer to do it in their own language, even though others can't understand that language. And not everyone's... Um, uh, well, sometimes there's more than one people, there's several people doing the same thing all at the same time. Imagine that. And then add to the mix that the church is actually not very spiritual. I mean, they think that they are, but um, in fact they're proud, they're divided, there's immorality. Some don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead and uh, could be described in some senses as being a little bit ignorant of God. And what would you say about such a church? Welcome to Corinth. Welcome to Corinth, because that describes the church which Paul wrote to. And they are a church. Um, in uh, the opening lines of uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, when Paul addressed them, he addressed them as, and I quote, the church of God in Corinth, sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. So there you go. How about that, eh? With all of their messiness, um, they are in fact the church of God and uh, indeed they are messy but uh, what they need to do is to change and to grow. Now, what about their meetings? Now, uh, do, you, do you ever watch Parliament on television? Question time perhaps? I, you know, sometimes I <coughs> get a chance to watch a little bit of that and... Uh, and I, I kind of like watching it, um, not just because of the content of the speeches, but I'm interested in crowd control. And um, when you've got a whole bunch of politicians in the same room, politicians love to use, they, they love to, uh, uh, to speak, don't they? And they're all wanting to speak, they're all wanting to interject, they're all wanting to make criticisms, which are just thinly disguised as questions, and that's why they have... Thing called standing orders, um, which are rules that enable the Speaker of the House to um, turn that chaos into something which is relatively orderly. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is about good order in the gatherings of God's people. Uh, but before establishing the standing orders, the rules, if you like, Paul speaks about principle 
And let's have a look at the principles, shall we? If you have a look at verse 26, presumably you've got your Bibles open. He says, What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, another language or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, that paints a very enthusiastic picture of church gatherings, doesn't it? You know, when they get together, um, everyone wants to have a go and provide some input, which is great. However, what is the guiding principle? Well, it's not about the individual, is it? It's not about me and my relationship with God. It's not about me and my spiritual experience. Uh, it's not about me and my you know, need to sing a particular hymn or my need to share this message that I believe that God has given me. They might be good things to do, but only if it is of benefit to the other people who are gathered. So that's the principle. Paul then throughout this passage applies this principle to three different situations uh, which appear to be um, problem areas uh, for this particular church. Three areas. Firstly, he applies the principle to speaking in other languages. Now, last week I put forward the uh, view that tongues uh, refers to a, a person speaking uh, in their first language, uh, their mother tongue, if you like, uh, instead of speaking in the, the common language, uh, which was Greek, and we talked about why a person might want to do that when they're connecting with God. Um, someone shared with me last week a good saying from Nelson Mandela who uh, said that uh, uh, if you speak to a person in their second language, you speak to their head. Uh, if you speak to them in their first language, you speak to their heart. And that uh, applies in reverse as people uh, want to uh, speak to God about uh, important things uh, in their lives. Now, Paul does not forbid this. He doesn't forbid people from speaking, um, from praying and praising God uh, in, their, uh, in their mother tongue, in their, in their first language. Uh, in fact, in verse 39, he says that it must not be forbidden. People have the right to pray to God uh, in the language of their heart. It must not be forbidden. However, there are certain rules. Uh, in verse 27, if anyone speaks in another language, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. So, there Paul sets a maximum per meeting of three people speaking in other languages. Maximum. And they must be interpreted. Um, one of the things about interpretation, you ever been to a church where someone's been speaking in a foreign language and, and it's, they've had an interpreter? Uh, so I, I heard about one 
person who was in that situation and he was preaching to a congregation in a language that they didn't understand and so he would preach a, a chunk of what he wanted to say and then the interpreter would interpret that and then the preacher would preach the next um, chunk of what he wanted to say and the interpreter would interpret that and after a while the interpreter realised that what the preacher was saying was rubbish um, that it actually wasn't biblical so he just preached his own sermon and the preacher was none the wiser for it but everyone was edified now the point I want to make there uh, is that um, by the way jokes don't work very well when you have to have them interpreted by the way as well Um, but one of the things about um, interpretation in church is it takes twice as long doesn't it and you can really blow out the time which may be part of what's uh, in Paul's mind where he's quite strict here where he's quite strict that um, uh, that the person who is praising God or praying in other languages um, uh, that, um, that, that there is a maximum number of three people uh, who can do that uh, now it's one at a time and it's only ever if there is an interpreter present and so uh, if the person's intending to um, speak to God praise him pray to him in their own language uh, they've got to check around beforehand to make sure that there's someone there who can actually interpret for the rest of the congregation and if there isn't what is the person to do well they are to remain silent that's quite clear because what we say in church must communicate meaningfully to the rest of the congregation now just as an aside uh, even if speaking in tongues uh, were ecstatic utterances which I don't think that they are but many Christians do think that they are the way that ecstatic utterances is practiced in churches in my experience ignores the the, the purpose of the very passage that it's based on uh, one at a time with interpretation um, a maximum of three people and no exception to that now secondly Paul then applies the principle of strengthening others to the area of prophecy and and that raises the issue of what is meant by prophecy Um, years ago there was a so-called prophet who was brought by a church in Port Macquarie to our town uh, with his team and you could see uh, him or members of his team individually and they would tell you God's plan for your life interesting wouldn't it a hundred dollars if the prophet himself did it and fifty dollars if it was one of his team members I heard him say that I heard him say that and we are rightly skeptical of anyone who claims to be able to prophesy God's plan for your life um, especially if there's a charge to it however prophecy is a thing in the Bible obviously Uh, in the Old Testament there seems to be various types of prophets Moses was a prophet although we uh, tend to think of him purely as being a lawgiver 
there were prophets whose words became authoritative scripture. Uh, prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and uh, the, all of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, there were also schools of prophets, <clears throat> groups of prophets whose we don't know what they said because their words, no one wrote them down. They're not, they did not become authoritative scripture. Uh, in the New Testament, there are men like Agabus who, by the Spirit, prophesied about matters which turned out to be important. Um, he uh, uh, prophesied about the, uh, a famine that would occur in Judea and it was on the basis of that that the Gentile Christians started forwarding aid to the Christians, the Jewish Christians uh, in Judea and that actually became a, a point for unity between Jews and, and Gentiles uh, under Christ. He also prophesied about the arrest of Paul which turned out to be a significant event in terms of Paul then uh, eventually ending up in uh, proclaiming the gospel before authorities and ending up in Rome. The prophets of the Bible were not personal fortune tellers were they in fact the prophets spoke mostly of God's holiness of man's sin um, the promise of judgment and of repentance it was a dangerous job being a prophet uh, but it seems that the gospel does make a difference in terms of how we understand prophecy and the role of a prophet um, chief reason for that is that Christ has actually fulfilled the prophets. The prophets of the Old Testament pointed to a time in the future which is fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the law and the prophets pointed to him. And the prophets longed to know what we now understand, things which they prophesied about that they didn't understand but we do because we leave this side of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And in the scriptures, we have God's word. We have God's word which is, uh, which is able uh, to, uh, to, to, to fully um, teach us in, in terms of what we need to know about salvation and how we ought to be living in a way that is honouring and pleasing to God, the very purpose for which we have been created. Uh, indeed, uh, when we as Christians share the gospel we are exercising, in a sense, a prophetic function. Because what are we saying to people? We're talking about the future, aren't we? We're talking about something which we know which will be happening in the future, which they need to hear about, and that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment. And we call on people to repent and to put their faith in Christ um, for their salvation. So in that sense, we also exercise a prophetic function. Uh, however, it does seem still that they're the Agabus type of prophets uh, in the New Testament. <clears throat> Nothing really big is made of it. Uh, and in Corinth, there, there seems to be people who are claiming to have a message uh, which God has impressed upon them as God did by his spirit uh, with Agabus. Now, Paul doesn't speak to us a lot about the nature of that. Uh, he's more, and he doesn't dispute it. 
But his concern, rather, is the purpose of the prophecies, uh, the, the net effect of the prophecies. And the purpose is that they should actually build up the church as a whole. Um, have a look at verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Um, one commentator I wrote said, this is the, the rule which... Um, uh, stops the long-winded prophet from going on and on and on because <laughs> he has to give way to the other person, give them a turn. But notice that the, the person who is prophesying is not in some kind of uncontrollable, um, mystical trance, uh, that uh, rather that they, they can control themselves because the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. God is not a God of disorder but of order. Indeed, the truly spiritual, the, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. <laughs> so the person who is speaking by the, the, the Spirit will actually be in, in control. Of, um, they're not out of their mind in that sense. They're not in this uncontrollable, mystical state. They can control themselves and they must control themselves. So that if someone else believes that God has given them something... Uh, to say the first speaker must stop and must allow that other person to speak. Notice also that the purpose of the prophecy is that everyone would be instructed and encouraged. And this is something which Paul alluded to back in verse 3, which we looked at briefly last Sunday, where the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage and comfort the church so that no matter what else prophecy might involve, it must involve that, the strengthening, the encouragement and the comfort of the church in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, what the person says may, not, may actually not come from God. And therefore, see that uh, Paul says that uh, what they say must be weighed carefully. Um, how would that be done? How would you weigh up what a prophet is saying? Well, the most obvious way is to, is to check it against Scripture, which we know is the Word of God. So, does what this, is what this person saying, does it actually conform um, to Scripture? Sometimes in those Bible study groups and someone might say I believe such and such about God and I say well show us where, where do you find that in the passage and they go oh the, the passage oh, yeah yeah the passage where do you find it in the passage or where, where do you find it in the rest of the Bible oh I don't know just, someone just told me that and I said well you know let's and as we check it against the scriptures uh, we can know whether or not that's true and when it's true that's always a very edifying experience and when it's not in the scriptures, it becomes an opportunity for growth and for learning and for clarifying uh, our understanding of God. 
And so what the prophet says must be uh, in Scripture or uh, must be derived from the principles of Scripture. And, and if it isn't, then we should reject it. And this is always the case uh, in our church gatherings. Um, when people speak in church here, that it is the result of study and prayer. And we pray that God would use the words and thoughts of the preacher to actually, by his spirit, to lead people and to impress upon people the things from God's word. And so, uh, in our gatherings, this is why we have our Bibles open, so that uh, you can check what I'm saying, or what Peter's saying, or what the other preachers are saying, to make sure it actually does align with Scripture. So I personally go around uh, on Sunday mornings and make sure that there's enough Bibles in every row so that everyone can do that. Do not believe me. Believe only the Scriptures. And so uh, this is uh, why we do that, to check that what the preacher is saying is biblical. And it is much easier to do that. It's much easier to weigh what the person's saying if there is actually good order going on in the gathering. <laughs> uh, if other people aren't trying to talk over uh, each other and there's time to actually think and to reflect uh, that there is peace and good order whilst the person is speaking. It enables us to check that what they are saying comes from the Scriptures. Now, thirdly, <clears throat> Paul then applies the principle of, go of good order to some of the women in the congregation. Uh, second part of verse 33, have a look at that. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must also be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now, shall I just duck for cover at this point? <laughs> it's just a tad controversial in our um, culture uh, and in our day, isn't it? Now, what does it mean? Why does Paul say this? I mean, does this say that, does this mean that no woman should ever open her mouth during a church service while we're gathered together? That the women should all be completely zipped and only the men can talk? What's, what's Paul on about here? Each of the issues in this passage appear to be a response to matters which the Corinthians have raised in a letter which they wrote to him, which he is responding to. We don't have the letter that they wrote to him. So what we're doing is we're looking at uh, one half of a two-way um, communication. And so, therefore, we need to, to some extent to read between the lines and to, uh, and to, uh, to, in order to work out um, what it is that he may be responding to and draw out the principles from that. Now, you may or may not remember, but when we looked at chapter 11 
um, some months ago, uh, we saw that there were some women in the congregation who thought of themselves as being very spiritual, uh, so spiritual that they had in fact entered into the, the heavenly age, that they were now ruling with the angels. It's hard for us to understand why they'd think that way, but it's, that seems to be the case. And in the heavenly age, of course, there is no marriage. Marriage doesn't exist in heaven. And they kind of thought that they'd somehow arrived at that um, already. And so, in church, they ditched their head coverings or they changed the way that they, <clears throat> they wore their hair, uh, which in their culture was a sign uh, of a woman um, not submitting to her husband. The way you wore your hair and the head covering was a sign of submission to your husband. Uh, if you don't believe that in marriage anymore, because you've already arrived in this heavenly state, you ditch the head covering because you've ditched um, the relationship with your husband. And that's why Paul had to address so much of that um, in terms of <coughs> couples and marriage and then in the head covering issue. You can listen to the uh, sermons online if you're interested in pursuing that further. But it, the, uh, the head covering issue was a sign of a wife's submission or otherwise to her husband and when we talk about submission here, we're talking about biblical submission. We're not talking about the submission of abuse and tyranny. We're not talking about the stuff that Ashley Stevenson was running away from. But rather we're talking about um, the, the sacrificial and the responsible leadership that a man under Christ should have for his wife and his family, where a man under Christ will actually step up to the mark and be prepared to be uh, making the tough decisions and be prepared to actually be leading his family uh, in, um, in, in, in their relationship with God and the wife allowing him to do that. That's what we're talking about. It's that loving leadership which Christ Jesus demonstrated for us as he was dying on the cross for us and for our salvation. And therefore, it is timeless. Um, Paul says that it's taught in the law, and we know that that is the case. From the, the, when the Bible talks about law, it's talking about you know, the categories of law and the prophets and sometimes the writings, and the law being particularly the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in the law, in Genesis, we're taught about that relationship of... of, of, of um, uh, of unity but of difference in the relationship between uh, a man and a woman. And so this is not a, a thing of the moment for Paul. It's something which has been taught in the law and it's something which has been taught in all of the churches. There's nothing new in it. There's nothing specifically that he's saying to Corinth at this point. The problem in Corinth is that it just wasn't happening there. Where it seems, <clears throat> and <clears throat> again we have to uh, read into this a little bit but it seems that it's possible that there were some women in the congregation who were, were speaking um, perhaps interjecting with their questions uh, in a manner that was publicly disrespectful to their husbands and so this perhaps is what Paul is addressing 
Where it says in verse 34 that the woman should remain silent, the original Greek translates as let be silent. This is an important point because it's exactly the same word that, is, that Paul used in verse 30 where the prophet has to stop talking. And it's exactly the same word in the Greek that Paul used in verse 28. Well, there's a variation in terms of single and plural. Uh, when the person who speaks uh, in another language should not do so, they should stay quiet unless there's an interpretation. It's the same word in the Greek used three times for each of these specific situations that Paul is addressing. Uh, the NIV translates, however, the word differently every time, which is fine to do in one sense, but what it means is that we miss the pattern. We miss the connectedness um, between these three issues. Paul's concern is that people should be silent if by speaking and by how they speak, they do not build up others. By speaking in a language that no one else can understand. By prophesying for too long. Or wives publicly disrespecting their husbands. There needs to be some order in the place. Now, I understand that in the United Kingdom... You know, they've got two houses of parliament there, don't they? The House of Commons, which is, that's a, that's a circus. Uh, <clears throat> and the Speaker in the House of Commons needs all the authority that he or she can get. Um, House of Lords is different, though. In the House of Lords, the Speaker has very little authority. Doesn't call the House to order doesn't determine who will speak when multiple people want to speak at the same time, um, doesn't um, rule on points of order, doesn't discipline anybody, doesn't need to, because <clears throat> they pride themselves on being gentlemanly and considerate of their, of their fellow lords. They actually had a debate just recently to increase the powers of the Speaker of the House of Lords, and it failed. <laughs> they refused to give any more power because they don't need it. They are considerate towards one another. They don't need to be controlled. There was not enough consideration going on in Corinth. In fact, far from being humble and servant-minded, they were, they were arrogant Verse 36, did the word of God originate with you? Paul says it's a sort of tone of sarcasm in this. Or are you the only people that it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or a spiritual man, literally, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command and if he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. You feel the frustration under the surface for Paul, can't you? That there is there's this arrogance that's going... They, they were individualists. They, they were more concerned for their own spiritual experience in church rather than caring for others and building up others. And not all of them respected Paul. And so here 
he brings them into order, asserting his authority as an apostle even over those who thought that they were prophets. So apostolic authority is more akin to the authority of the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. The, those who considered themselves to be prophets were actually under apostolic authority in the New Testament. Now, when we um, compare our services here on a Sunday to the Corinthians, it's a world away, isn't it? It's very different. Um, we do have good order. There's a sheet that goes around before the service for anyone who's participating in the service. It's called an order of service. It tells you this is when you're going to speak. This is when someone else is going to speak. This is when we're going to... We have very good order. We have one person speaking at a time, generally. We don't pass the mics around. But the reason we are like that now is because Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 14 back then. That's why. We are the beneficiaries of this chapter. And yet, we can have very good order. We can have excellent order and still be selfish and still be individualistic. Perhaps by being too silent, um, not saying hello to the person who we're sitting next to before or after the service, not, not hanging around to engage with people and to talk to people and to encourage them as we can all be doing. When we're supposed to be getting to know each other so that we might encourage one another uh, in Christ. Or we can value proper order above love for one another. Um, making criticism when something is done slightly out of order. <laughs> Imagine someone in Corinth <coughs> getting too orderly and sitting there counting the number of prophets that have spoken in a meeting and someone accidentally walks in, they don't know that they're the fourth prophet and they stand up and, and they go, I gotcha, <laughs> you know? No, 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 love um, surpasses good order. Or using our gifts um, in a very orderly way but for our own benefit. Um, years ago, a church member, now, now former church member, phoned me up during the week and uh, <coughs> she said, she told me that she had a particular gift that God had given her and then she strongly impressed upon me that God uh, wants every one of us to be allowed to use the particular gift that he has given us before informing me that she planned to do so in church that weekend <laughs> with her gift. Did I have any objections to that, she asked. Well, brothers and sisters, what could I say? <laughs> she had already invoked the authority of God. <laughs> it was the wrong question. The right question, the one which we always need to ask, 
is will the use of my gift be helpful in strengthening, encouraging and comforting not myself but my brothers and sisters in the church in Christ that they would be built up and God would be honoured. That is the right question to ask and to do so in a good and orderly way. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a God of order and a God who uh, gives gifts to your people. We thank you that as a people that we are a collection of individuals brought together as one body uh, to build up the body of Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would apply these principles that we've been learning about today of seeking the good of the church as a whole as we interact with one another and as we minister to one another, that we would all grow up uh, in love and unity under the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.